الجزيرة بودكاست I am Giorgia Meloni, I am 45 years old and I am the president of Fratelli d'Italia, the political party of Italian conservatives. That's the woman whose party is slated to win Italy's election this Sunday. There is a lot of concern and justified concern about Meloni's rise due to the fact that Italy is the place where fascism was born. Meloni's party grew out of the fascist movement started a century ago by Benito Mussolini. Now it's part of a coalition with Matteo Salvini's anti-immigrant league party and Italy's former prime minister Silvio Berlusconi. If Meloni, Salvini and Berlusconi win the next elections, this will be by far the most hard-right government that any country in Western Europe has seen since World War II. Why would Italians want to vote in a party associated with fascism again? I'm Hala Mahiadine, and this is The Take. Michele Barbero is an Italian journalist. I'm a senior producer at AFP News Agency, and I'm a contributor for various magazines, especially foreign policy. So, as a political journalist, you're just the guy we need to talk to then. There are elections in Italy at the weekend. Is it possible that Italy will elect a neo-fascist government on Sunday? It depends on your definition of neo-fascist. What's certainly not only possible, but quite likely, is that Giorgia Meloni the leader of the Brothers of Italy, will win big, indeed. So tell us about Giorgia Maloney and the Brothers of Italy. Why are they referred to as neo-fascist? Maloney herself was interviewed by the Washington Post and she called herself conservative. Yeah, she would not agree with the definition of neo-fascist, most likely, but it's a fact that her party, the Movimento Sociale Italiano, was created right after World War II by regime uh, officials. She is definitely a nationalist, hard-right, socially conservative politician. Her relationship with fascism is, at the very least, ambiguous. But she has spoken about Benito Mussolini, Italy's fascist dictator, yes? She was being interviewed when she was 19, a very young militant, and indeed she said something along the lines, uh, you know, Mussolini was a good politician. And now she published a video in multiple languages stressing that she uh, disavows the fascist dictatorship. I have been reading that the win of Fratelli d'Italia in the September elections would mean a disaster leading to an authoritarian turn, Italy's departure from the euro and other nonsense of this sort. None of this is true. But when it comes to her underlying ideology, in fact, she's fairly in line with what fascism was all about. A strong nationalist ideology with a certain wariness of differences, to put it mildly. Italy did become, for a little bit, an empire where all that matters is the strength and the power of the nation, where everybody is marching together to achieve that goal. This is Italy in 1922. These marching men are charter members of a new Italian political party, the fascists, 
founded and led by a flamboyant ex-editor, ex-army corporal, ex-socialist, Benito Mussolini. And uh, where differences of political views, sexual orientation and so forth are seen as a weakness, as deviance, to use a word that Meloni has actually used quite recently. Fascism is remembered by many as the worst period in Italian history. So why are so many Italians prepared to vote for its legacy? To answer those questions, we turn to Barbara Serra. I'm an Italian-born journalist and I made a film for Al Jazeera called Fascism in the Family. And you discovered that your grandfather was a pretty important part of Mussolini's fascist movement in Italy. Yeah, so I called it fascism in the family rather than my family, because I think, you know, it's my family, but really it's Italy. If I tell an Italian who my grandfather was a fascist, one out of three Italians will say, well, so was mine. In 20 years, there were a lot of people that were part of the fascist party. Not all maybe as committed as my grandfather was, but, you know, it was a huge part of life for two decades. The fact that Barbara's grandfather was a fascist wasn't a surprise. His ties to Nazi Germany were. So I always knew that he'd been a fascist. He was the mayor of a mining town in Sardinia. But I sort of got the idea to make the film because I did find a letter from the Nazis among, you know, old family pictures. While looking through the pictures, I found this. Which was a, you know, a bit of a gut punch. That must be a shock, no? That, I have to say, that was. Berlin, the date, 16th of May 1938. So that's just a few months before Italy passes racial law. And look, you know, I, I'm quite weathered in the sense that I've been a journalist for a long time. But yeah, finding the Nazi letter among the old family pictures was not one of the highlights of that particular year. I sort of looked into, you know, the history of that letter and what it was like, and then how it could start today. It just remind us, how does it start? Effectively, Mussolini starts right after World War I, obsessed with empire and expanding. So you have that gradual crescendo of total power in 1925, which is, you know, arguably a full 10 years before Hitler takes power in Germany. Anti-Semitism wasn't a core part of fascism until it allied itself with Germany and passed its own racial laws. Those laws stripped Jewish Italians of their jobs and rights. And this is where, Barbara says, many Italians see a distinction in Mussolini's rule. There's fascist Italy before the racial laws were enacted, and then there's fascist Italy afterwards. Because almost all Italians that I've spoken to that are sympathetic, let's say, to Miloni and her ilk, even the people that I've interviewed literally paying their respects at Mussolini's tomb, all of them will say the racial laws were bad, the alliance with Hitler was bad, but before that, fascism was fine. Because they separate what it became with the racial laws and then eventually when Germany invaded with the deportation of Italian Jews to the concentration camps to what it was before. Of course, Mussolini's Italy and Hitler's Germany lost World War II, but the way it ended for Italy was different, Barbara says. And so at the end of the war, there was a huge desire for national unity and national stability. So what was done in Nazi Germany, i.e. purging the whole of government, any Nazi, wasn't done nowhere near to the same extent in Italy. And that is why you had some parties emerge right after World War II that were filled with members that had served under Mussolini. 
the largest being the Movimento Sociale Italiano, which Giorgia Meloni became a member of when she was just 15. That was in 1992. So there was no national reckoning in Italy and Germany. It's still to this day. It's a cross that they bear and they, they make a constant effort to understand their past and distance themselves from it. That that reckoning hasn't happened in Italy at all. Listen, th- I mean, listen, there's a lot of people that have done that, right? So, I mean, I think we shouldn't overstate the kind of support that Maloney has. And I also think we should remember that a lot of people support Maloney that aren't necessarily apologists for fascists or certainly not Holocaust deniers. But yes, that reckoning that happened in Germany didn't happen for a variety of historical reasons in Italy. And I think we're still kind of seeing the impact of that now. So how closely linked is Mussolini's fascist party to Giorgia Meloni's Brothers of Italy? And what about their policies? That's after the break. Bank heists in Lebanon. Find out why in this week's episode of Essential Middle East Podcast. I asked Michele to help us trace Italy's political trajectory since the end of Mussolini. Can you just explain the evolution from the fascist movement of the past to the current day Brothers of Italy? I mean, are there still Mussolini supporters in that party? So the, the short answer is yes, for sure. After World War II, there was one openly post-fascist, neo-fascist party, in the sense that it was founded by people who had belonged to the Mussolini regime, which was called Movimento Sociale Italiano. This party then evolved into a somewhat more mainstream party, Alianza Nazionale, National Alliance in the 90s, which actually disavowed, at least in theory, the fascist regime, and then formed a united party with Berlusconi's conservatives. So the fascist identity was somewhat watered down. But that watered down version wasn't working for Giorgia Meloni, Michele says. What's interesting is that Meloni and a few others in 2012, they split from this more mainstream party, effectively recreating a more hard right party that is clearly the hair of the old Movimento Sociale Italiano, even the symbols, the party logo still features the tricolor flame, which was the very identifiable symbol of the Movimento Sociale Italiano. Michele is careful to note the Italian people are not only wrestling with their past, there's also the present to contend with. Can you just give us a sense of what the political environment is and why that is appealing to some people? Well, first of all, what her policies are is not the same as what people are signing up for. People are just not trusting old, traditional, mainstream social democratic parties anymore. Italy is a country that has very strong anti-political, anti-establishment feelings. We've had three different governments since 2018, very different coalitions during extremely rocky times. COVID, the war in Ukraine, now a massive inflation and energy crisis. So the fact that Meloni consistently managed to portray herself as somebody who never dirted her hands with time spent in government, unlike most other parties, is a real asset. The government immediately preceding this election was headed by Mario Draghi, former head of the European Central Bank. 
Many Italians are grateful to him for getting the country billions of dollars in COVID recovery funds. Italy's been promised $200 billion in EU grants and loans, the largest chunk of the entire bloc's $900 billion recovery fund. Then, in July, he resigned, which left some onlookers a bit confused. Even central bankers' hearts are touched sometimes. Thank you for this, and thanks for all the work we have done together during this time. Forgive me if I'm wrong here, Michele, but... I got the impression that during COVID, when you had Mario Draghi, people seemed relatively happy with that government. Is that right? I think that's correct. Draghi, as very much internationally recognized leader, somebody that almost everyone really in Italy considers certainly competent. But essentially what happened is very broad coalition that backed Draghi fell apart. The incentives to to mark the differences and to bicker with one another became too strong. Draghi was fed up. He he didn't want to to stay in power anymore, Uh, rumour has it. And so we find ourselves in a new electoral campaign. It just seems constant. You've got new governments being formed and then collapsing. She would also be Italy's first female prime minister, Giorgia Meloni. Is that something that people are taking note of? I would say the fact is balanced out by worries that she might actually not be that great at all for women's rights. Talk to me about her policies, because she's not storming in by way of a coup d'etat. She's asking people to vote for her and her party. And from what you say, it sounds like large parts of Italian society are prepared to do that. What are people signing up for? Meloni's Brothers of Italy is Pardon immigration. She's talked about a possible blockade to be set up off the northern coast of Africa. The vague idea that Italy has to be respected abroad. We need a strong Italy. What exactly that means remains to be seen. There are fears on the left that in the long term, a Meloni government might actually lead to some kind of democratic backsliding. Then when it comes to social policies, she's very conservative. Tough on LGBT rights, there are certainly fears that she will take steps to curtail abortion rights, making medical equipment, drugs harder to get, less available, as is already the case in the Marche region, currently under control of Brothers of Italy. It's very much traditional family units and that kind of thing. In October 2019, what first appeared on the internet as one of her traditional campaign speeches quickly morphed into this very untraditional techno remix that went viral. It seems to mock her message while alerting Italians about what she has in store. I'm Georgia. I'm a woman. I'm a mother. I'm a Christian, Maloney shouts. The dance beat continues and weaves in some of her greatest hits from the campaign. Taking issue with LGBTQ rights. In other speeches, she's described Islam as violent. And then there's the question about the war that continues to rage in Ukraine that may even be getting worse. What about Russia? So this is, I would say, perhaps the biggest rift within 
the right-wing alliance right now. Meloni, probably because she's tipped to, to become Italy's next prime minister, she's been quite careful to stress that she's absolutely in favour of the current Italian stance on Russia. Michele says there are other Italian politicians whose ties to Russia are more worrying, like Matteo Salvini with the Anti-Immigrant League Party and former Italian Prime Minister Silvio Berlusconi. Salvini has historically had much stronger ties with Putin and Russia in general. He keeps at least questioning to what extent the sanctions are useful or not. So... If she is set to win, according to all the, the opinion polls, would you say that her voice and her party represents most of Italy? I mean, she will definitely have the legitimacy to lead and to rule the country. She does not represent the entire, not even probably the majority of the Italian population. On the issues, a majority of Italians may actually be in favour of abortion rights. There are strong anti-immigration sentiments in the country still a majority of Italians are in favour of relaxing the rules to give Italian citizenship to the children of immigrants. To put it simply, the main issue is that the right managed to form a coalition and to run together, whereas the left didn't. Do you think Italians believe Giorgia Maloney when she presents this image as, you know, we're not fascist, we're just conservative, distancing herself from previous statements that she'd made? So I think essentially she's grown up. She's understood that she's not a 19-year-old militant anymore. She can't openly say that Mussolini was a good politician. I would say that many Italians essentially don't care, especially the younger generations. Most Italians, just like 100 years ago, the vague idea of a strong, powerful nation that's respected in the world is something that actually resonates. This is the key to understand Meloni's popularity right now. And from trying to understand her country and her grandfather, Barbara says she understands that popularity too. The whole time, you know, when I was looking at the decisions that my grandfather ended up making through the years, I never thought, oh, I would never do that. I think we forget how seductive dictatorships can be. Dictators always present you with easy solutions. And there's a seduction to a lot of these leaders, and it's not just Italy, you know, look around. It has been said that fascism is a slippery slope, and Barbara also recognises that reality. I think we have to be careful. I mean, I think there are things to be concerned about. I don't necessarily think we're going to see troops in black shirts marching down Rome the day after the election. The thing we need to be careful about is this idea that some people are real Italians and some people aren't, right? And then it just depends what the sort of fashion of the day is as to who is and who isn't. Using of people as scapegoats, I think that is one thing that was used back then, that is being used now, and that I think we always have to be wary of also because you never know when whatever group you're in might be tomorrow's scapegoat, right? It's that old line, one day they'll come for you. So I asked Michele, what happens on Monday if Georgia Maloney does win? When it comes to Italy, I think we will see for a few months or years a general atmosphere that will not be particularly positive or good for any kind of minority based on sexual orientation or immigrants. I don't believe that we will see an immediate crisis of Italian 
liberal democracy. Even the people who define themselves as neo-fascists, they're not neo-fascists in the sense that they wish there was just one party, no freedom of the press. He also says he's not sure if Giorgia Maloney's party is here to stay. I'm not convinced that Berlusconi and Salvini will be particularly happy with Meloni leading this government for a bunch of different reasons, sexism being one of them. I think there is a strong chance of this coalition bickering over substantial and less substantial reasons. It might not be that stable a coalition after all. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Amy Walters with Ashish Malhotra, Ruby Zaman, Alexandra Locke, Nagin Oliai, Chloe K. Lee and me, Hala Mahiedin. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Aya El-Malek and Adam Abugad are our engagement producers and Ney Alvarez is our head of audio. We'll be back on Monday.